0: Thank you, Father. Lord, how much Iris and I love this church family, Father. Lord, thank you for the support that we give to each other. Father, we are people who need people, and we thank you for that. Lord, I realize that each one here today and those who couldn't be here, we're all struggling uniquely with issues in all of our lives. But thank you, Father, that you understand us and you care so much for each one of us. Thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the things that we can learn. And I feel that, Lord, every time, every time I've been a part of teaching or learning or studying or memorizing, Father, I continue to lay another brick in the foundation of my Christian life. And for each one of us, Lord, that we will continue to grow Father, we commit this time to you this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would be pleased to use this servant of yours in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you again to those of you who were able to be here yesterday and to, uh, to help get some th- projects done around the church. It's just when you have seven acres of land, we're just going to keep at it. Or We gets behind. You know what your house, I know what my house gets like. If I let things, if I get behind, it's hard to catch up. But thank you for, I just love this church, the property, uh, the people who are here, and it's just wonderful to drive in on the property and see that it's well cared for. Thank you. And I know it's a testimony to our neighbors as well. But also when we have our work days on Saturdays, I try to share a devotion. And yesterday I had decided to share with the large crowd that we had Thank you, Tom and Kathy. <laughs> Everybody else had to leave. But um, uh, with our, the Hurricane Florence and all that's been going on and the fires in California, and, uh, you begin to wonder if if we are in the last days. uh, uh I couldn't find the word hurricane in the Bible. It talks about strong winds and storms and so on, but there's just so much happening, so much happening. So I was sharing yesterday that uh, I I, I have never been uh, a great fan of prophecy. For some reason, I've never really cared for that subject. I, I don't know why I guess I burned when I was younger where I knew some people that knew all about prophecy. Uh, they knew her to cross the T's and dot the I's, but they lived terrible lives. And I saw the disjoint between what people knew and how they lived. And that's true of so many areas of our life as well. So I, I'm guessing that's one reason I've never been interested, but... Uh, I did a series on Sunday night back the church I served for 10 years in northern Illinois on uh, Last Days. Uh, I think it was on the book, Satan is Alive and Well on the Planet Earth. If you remember that book, I don't know. But uh, church was packed every Sunday night, standing room only, because there's so much interest in what God is going to do or is doing and when he's going to do it. Uh, I was sharing with the yesterday that, you know, people will travel a hundred miles to go to a prophecy conference, but they won't go ten miles to go to church, And uh, because prophecy is of such great interest to everybody. So what does all that's going on around us? Does it have any indication of last day? Well, I think we're living in the last days, of course, but... They've been saying that now for how many hundreds of years? And Franklin Graham said that the numerous hurricanes, wildfires, earthquakes, and other natural phenomena affecting the world today should serve as a reminder that people need to be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. That's what Franklin Graham said. Wildfires raging on the West Coast, violent hurricanes one after another, ravaging everything on our planet, in their paths with one of the worst, Irma, bearing down on Florida, and this was a year ago. a um, Magnitude 8.1 hurricane, in southern Mexico, that was a year ago as well. And um, Graham goes on to say that nobody knows the day or the hour, not even God, the son of God doesn't know exactly the day when, the, when things are going to end. But he ends this article by saying that uh, he urges Christians to pray for all those affected by the disasters and said that people can find hope and comfort in Christ. He says, in the meantime, practice what they teach in the lamas' classes. Take some deep breaths. Hold the hand of the one who loves you, he said. And that's God, of course. He charged. I don't know. What was that song we sang? Many Things About Tomorrow? I don't seem to understand. But I know who, who holds the future, and I know who holds my hand. And uh, last Sunday, we talked briefly, uh, just before communion, about this doctrine of justification. Words that we use uh, so often, but I'm not sure we really understand what they... Mean, all right, but can you hear me okay? Are we all right? Um, I was we were singing this morning that chorus that I like righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Uh, do we know what that means when you when we say, Lord, I want righteousness? What am I asking? Right living is that what righteousness is? I and then I thought about justification that we talked about you know, last Sunday. What does justification mean? Uh, We've often said that uh, the the catchy phrase that we often use and I've used is that justification means just as if I had not sinned. Well, that's not enough. All that does is leave a vacuum in our life. It's more than that. It's not only that just as if I'd never sinned, but God takes the the righteousness of his son, there I go, use that word again. He takes the perfection of his son and he places it in our life. I was thinking of you, Sherry, and we pray for you and celebrate your new relationship to God. But I think of all the doctrines, Sherry, that had such an impact on my life, I think justification, because as I've shared with the congregation a long time ago, is that I grew up in a very legalistic atmosphere, unfortunately, in a church that had a lot of people that were grace people, but a church also that had a lot of rules and regulations. And, you know, when, when I used to see some of my good, the, the adult friends of mine that I looked up to when they would drive 100 miles to Chicago to do things that they wouldn't do in our hometown because they didn't want anybody in the church to see them doing it. And I thought, you know, that, what kind of hypocrisy is that? If you believe that it's wrong, then don't do it everywhere, not just out of town. But this is what I read this week, one of the things I read. And by the way, I've been studying on my own the book of Acts. And uh, somewhere down the line, I'm going to do a series on Acts, because I, it's the transition book between the Gospels, of course, and the church epistles. But this is what, all the doctrines of the Bible are important, but none is more vital to the peace and rest of the child of God than the Bible truth of justification. The believer does not grow to the peak of Christian joy until he appreciates and appropriates this aspect of the grace of God. Forgiveness is wonderful. Pardon is wonderful. Cleansing is wonderful but justification is even more wonderful. In Paul's day and later in the days of the Protestant Reformation and in our own day, it would be difficult to find a truth more cardinal, more basic to our historic Christian faith than the doctrine of justification. So important to understand Some years ago, uh, the New Yorker magazine had a cartoon that gave us more than a laugh. In the cartoon, there was a beautiful cathedral with people streaming out, carrying their priest on their shoulders with his priestly garments flapping in the breeze. Two men were standing off to the side, watching them with amazing sight. And what happened, one asked. The other replied, Oh, he just said that sin doesn't matter anymore. I'm sure that you would uh, I'm not sure that you'd carry me out on your shoulders if I made some a statement I wish you wouldn't but some of you would stop coming not you but people would stop coming if you have too much to say about the seriousness of sin. It's not a word that people like to hear about but it's it's a truth it's a very important doctrine. When he was doing some research for one of his books Chuck Colson made a search for made a a search for some contemporary writing on the subject of sin, and he had a hard time finding anything, anything contemporary. However, he did come across a piece in a very unlikely place. It was a piece done by Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes, and maybe you've heard this, but listen, it's a good reminder. In this piece, uh, Mike Wallace introduces the story about a Nazi Adolf Eichmann, one of the principal architects of the Holocaust, and I've always had a fascination with World War II. Uh, I watch it often on the History Channel. I watch it, some specials that are on uh, Netflix and so on. But in this piece, Mike Wallace introduced a story about Adolf Eichmann uh, uh, in the posed a, a central question. That the program said. And this is what Mike Wallace said. How is it possible for a man to act as Adolf Eichmann acted? Was he a monster? Was he a madman? Or perhaps something even more terrifying? Was he normal? And when you watch that history of that period, our, and to see these people that could that could be the architect for such horrible things to happen to fellow human beings, and then go home and play catch with their children and be with their family in, 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 the, in the community as if everything was A-OK, and then go and do those horrible things. How do you do that? How do you do that? Perhaps something even more terrifying was he normal. And... Uh, Wallace presented a very startling answer to this question that came in at an interview with a man by the name of Dinor, Yahil Dinur. He was a concentration camp survivor who testified against Eichmann at the Nuremberg trials. A film clip from Mr. Eichmann's 1961 trial showed Dinor walking into the courtroom, stopping short, seeing Eichmann for the first time since the Nazi had sent him to Auschwitz 18 years earlier and he began to sob, then he fainted and he collapsed on the floor in a heap. What happened to Dinor? Was he overcome by hatred or fear or horrid memories? No, it was, it's none of these. Rather, as Dinor explained to Wallace, all at once he realized that Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. He said, Eichmann was an ordinary man. I was afraid about myself, said Denor, the Jewish man. I saw that I'm capable of doing this. I'm exactly like he. And in his piece, Wallace summed up Denor's discovery. Eichmann is in all of us. In all of us. I can't imagine doing anything like that. But, you know, there's a part of that in all of us. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't just commit acts of sin, people. We are sinners. Our nature. And I've shared with you before, but when I used to teach boys and girls every single week, and... um, I would tell them about God and the fact that he knew everything about us, And he was always with us. He was right here and he was here everywhere. So we're all sinners, not just that we do sinful things, but we are by nature. We have a two-year-old great-grandson that I absolutely adore. Every time I see him, I want to pinch his cheeks. I want to hug him. And when he comes into the house, he just comes running in the house. He's laughing and singing and brings so much joy. He's like somebody opened the shade and let some sunshine come into the house, in the room. And I look at him and I think to myself, he's born with a sinful nature little Charlie, as sweet as he is, he can be naughty. Grandkids are never naughty, you know that, don't you? But he can be naughty. And he can be defiant. And he can say no. And so we're, we don't only do things that are wrong, we are born with a want to, to do things that are wrong. And if you leave children to their own devices, they will do wrong things. We, I don't know if you're old enough to remember that uh, it became very popular on high school campuses to have open campus. Come when you needed to, get a class, come, go when you wanted to. And it was just kind of free, come and go. And the whole philosophy was, is that we basically want to do what's right. And we want to learn. And High school students will study. No. (laughs) You and I are old enough to remember those days. You don't. We don't. We choose. We don't choose what's right. We choose so often what's wrong. But I'm glad, folks, that the moment you and I, and I was thinking of you, Sherry, especially being the newest one, the one in this church who's, the newest in your faith, newfound faith, is that the um, decision has already been made in the courts of heaven. Uh, we have been justified. The moment, the moment you and I come to faith in Christ, we are justified. We're not being justified. We are declared justified. And, and that has such a It has such an impact on our lives. Um, I don't have to worry about the future because I know that my case has already been settled in heaven and God has taken my sin and placed it on his son and taken the perfection in his son and he's placed it on, on me. It means to declare righteous. Well, there's another one of those words. The deeds we have done, the attitudes we have expressed, the words we have spoken, the life that we have lived, all of those things to be justified means that your case, my case has been decided. And our record in heaven has been changed. What a wonderful sense of peace that gives. I, I, have, I don't worry about it. I am not. I don't worry about my future in my relationship to God. It's been taken care of. Sherry, the moment you came to faith in Christ, God said, Sherry, you are justified. And our record in heaven has been changed our case has been decided. In our recent uh, Cumberland Magazine, there was an article in there about justification and I read it and um, I love our denomination so very much, but I was disappointed because the article really never said what does it mean to be justified. We read in Psalm 32 and quoted by Paul in Romans Blessed is the man who sinned, the Lord will never count against him. Never. I can live with confidence and I can look at my record in heaven and to know that he is well pleased. Oh, I disappoint him. Yes, I do. And there are times when he needs to spank me and he does. But as far as the file is concerned in heaven... If you look at my file folder, it says justified. Big print, justified. How wonderful it is to know that. Before I fully understood that, and I don't know why it took so long, but I I think because of my background, I guess. Surely knowing that I've been justified does not cause me to write does not cause me to relax in the moral conduct of my life, but rather it gives me encouragement to seek to become all that God wants me to be, to live free from sin and full of personal, practical righteousness. It transforms my future, it transforms my present. Father, thank you Thank you for the justification that we have received. Lord, I need to bathe in that wonderful truth. Lord, I need to just sit in the tub and soak it up. Lord, I just need to, to let it rain on me, to stand out there and get soaked. Lord, to somehow understand how that, that great truth can permeate all of my life my present and how i live today lord and father to have confidence in the future lord we thank you for that thank you for what you've done and are doing in each of our lives in christ's name we pray amen